Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello, and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. My name is Michelle Beck. Thanks for joining us today. I am a two-time nine-year survivor of breast cancer. Just reached my five-year mark last week. Very excited about that of NED. Um, I'm also the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends of Oregon. When I have time, I write at a blog called I Never Liked Pink. So today, my guest is Sherry Lead. She's a certified life coach and a mind body health oh gosh practitioner is that right sherry <laughs> i i say mindset coach i coach okay. um, women in their middle ages <laughs> perfect well thank you so much for being here today she's helps really she focuses on middle-aged women which is herself myself and so many 51 amazing women that are friends of hers that she talks about in this book that I just read over the past past four days, and it just blew my mind. Um, it's called, she is the author, oh, sorry, I keep, I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm so excited to talk about this book. So Sherry is the author of two books, and it has a third coming out in the fall, and she's a breast cancer survivor. So when I, I came across her book, I was like, I knew she just had to be a guest on our show because her, her she spends her entire life helping women figure it out. And the title of this book is Make Your Mess Your Message, More Life Lessons From and For My Girlfriends. And I love it so much. And Sherry, if you bear with me for a minute, I want to read a quote in your book because I just, I, I couldn't get enough of it. And I, I'm books are very precious to me. I hate writing in them. And I was writing all over yours because I didn't want to miss anything out. So the last chapter of the book, there are 52 because it's about 52 amazing women. Sherry writes, we all create messes or we are thrown into messes that are not of our own choosing. Either way, we have to deal with life's messes all the time. But living through these messages, through these messes, we find our messages. We learn and grow. And then we are equipped to be here to support each other and to learn from one another. And really, that's that's the whole message of what Sherry is now doing. And so I'm just so happy you're here today. So Sherry, thank you so much for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we get started? Sure. Well, like you, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. I am in the Seattle area. Uh, I am married to my husband of 25 years this year. We Congratulations. 25 years mm -hmm. and just became empty nesters this past wow. year. Um, and so now we have we have our lab dog at home, mm -hmm. and um, I actually I, I co as you said I coach women from home, and I'm a writer. I love that, and writing is one of my aspirations. And part of your book, you talk about you have chapters about each woman that you you know really on a very personal level. And during the pandemic, you've had Zoom dates with them, with each one of them, to talk about. What message was in your life? How did you overcome it? And what's the takeaway from that? And then there's also a journal page that you kind of give prompts. And it really has helped me focus on what I want to bring into this next year for myself. And writing is one of those things for me. It really was a lot of writing, self-care, which people make fun of that word, but it's so important right now. Um, and I, I really like... 
I, I mistakenly got sent two books by your publisher. So I'm giving the other one to my best friend so she can go through and do it herself. Because I, every time I talk to her, I'm like, oh, I got to give you that book. <laughs> so, I love that. I yeah, love it's, that. I really just want to share your, your message. And so tell us a little bit more what you do in your practice. Sure. Well, women, I, I work with women between the ages of 45 to 60. I have a couple of clients that are over 60, but they started with me a little bit earlier. And, you know, the the fascinating thing about middle age is I think it's one of the biggest growth periods in our life. And who would have thought that before, you know, when we were younger? I used to think of middle age as kind of that time in life where we're just kind of sort of sailing through and not changing very much. And boy, was I wrong. So uh, women come to me when they're really, they feel like they're going through these transition periods. It could be relationship. It could be health. Uh, looking for something career-wise. And uh, we really, we dive in and we define those goals and ideas and get them from where they are to where they want to be. I can really identify with that because for me, I, I went straight from college to a job, multiple jobs, and I literally worked my ass off until I was 39. And then I, I had met my husband a few years prior. we have gotten married and I had my son at 40 and then I was a stay-at-home mom for a while. So middle age is where I was having so many changes that I, I could have used you 10, 15 years ago. Um, but then I, I had my son, I was a stay-at-home mom, and then I had cancer once. And I was like, okay, it wasn't that bad. And then I had cancer a second time and my life exploded because it was a much different cancer experience. And my son was in school at that point. And I was like, what do I do with my life now? I, I'm not going to go back to my my prior career of being a chief level executive assistant because it was a lot. And I'm now a cancer survivor and I was really passionate about that. And it led me here to where I'm at now. And I'm so thankful. And, you know, 20 years ago, if someone would have said, oh, you're going to be writing a book and you're going to be hosting a podcast, I'd be like, you're crazy. <laughs> so I can definitely identify with the need for what you do. Yes, and it is those, uh, we may touch on it a little bit more later, but it is those life messes, like, you know, the cancer, the cancer with yeah. me, that, mm-hmm. that actually, you know, instead of stopping us, really diverts us to something a lot of times greater when we look back at those messes. Well, and looking, looking at your bio and reading the book, you're, you're very A-type, organized, you, you live a checklist life. And I can understand mm-hmm. that because I like notes. I, I still I still do paper notes myself. Like I'm on my phone. I'm on journals, paper. I have notes everywhere because I, I like to see those things checked off. But you had mentioned that it left you very unfulfilled. Can you talk about yeah. that? Yeah. And, you know, I think of a, a checklist life. Like you said, I went from high school to college to law school, got married, had two kids, a boy and a girl, had like two dun, dogs, dun, I mean, dun, dun, you know, bought the mm-hmm. house, uh, everything in order. And a lot of times, you know, the universe, the, there's something else out there that says, wait a second, this is not my order necessarily. And you get mm-hmm. thrown these curveballs. Um, and you know, so I was, I mean, I didn't mention it before, but I'm an attorney. So I mm-hmm. went to law school and um, I practiced law for about 14 years actively as a litigator. 
and it was right in my checklist. But there was a period of time when I was driving to work, and this was when I was working as a criminal prosecutor. Oh, and my gosh. theme, my theme song in the morning was Gloria Gaynor's um, "I Will Survive." I will survive. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to say that. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I that was just normal, right? And mm-hmm. I, I, but now when I look back at that, I think, gosh, what a terrible way to live to have to go to a job where you have to have that as your theme song to get going in the morning, mm-hmm. as opposed to now I wake up and I'm genuinely excited about the day I have ahead of me and who I'm going to talk to and what the possibilities are. I was a paralegal for five years right out of college and I worked at a very high high-end law firm in Los Angeles, mostly civil, but I worked on one criminal case and man, I was like, that was enough for me. I will never do that again. Um, So how did you switch from being an attorney to a life coach? Because that is not a simple transition. So like you, I ended up staying at home for a while with my kids. Uh, Again, with this whole checklist thing, you know, this idea, we ended up, we, we adopted our daughter who's older, who's the older um, sibling, which is a beautiful right, circle for you because you're also adopted. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it is. And I learned a lot through to being on this other end of adoption. But you know, we adopted and it took us two years to to adopt. We adopted from China, I came home and found out I was pregnant two weeks later, <laughs> again, throwing off my checklist. Mm-hmm. And um, so all of a sudden, two babies in one year had to cut yeah. that maternity leave down in a half. And, and also, you're still trying to work at this time, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then and then we learned it turned out to be a blessing because we learned our daughter who we adopted was behind in a lot of ways uh, in developmentally behind. And we wouldn't mm-hmm. have caught it as early as we did. But for having the baby and seeing how he was developing. Right. So, again, although this wasn't following my checklist, um, this mess of, you know, having a child that was developmentally delayed. Uh, turned and and then being pregnant and having another baby the same year turned out to be a blessing because we were able to catch a lot of things early. Sure, uh, because if you were working full time, you wouldn't have been able to see that as, as easily. I would imagine. Well, I was working full time. Okay, uh, but Sorry. that was uh, that's that's okay. That was the catalyst that that pulled me away from the practice of law. And so I stayed home for a while and got to a point where they became more independent and mm-hmm. I had the ability to decide what do I really want to do with my life? What makes sense to me? And this was after my, um, my experience, my journey with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And I felt like there's a reason I had experienced these different things. In addition to breast cancer, I'm also a double joint replacement. I was a young joint replacement uh, individual. So I have two artificial Mm -hmm. hips. I was diagnosed in my 30s and told that I needed those in my 30s. And I've been through a catastrophic car accident in my 20s. So I thought there is a reason why these things are happening. And that's what led me to look into coaching. Now, how is, I know a little bit about life coaching, but when we think of coach, we usually think of sports and athletics. Mm -hmm. How are they, I imagine it it carries over. How are they similar? The idea is that we as coaches believe that our clients carry all the natural talent, all the answers inside of them, all the skills that they need to get to where they want to be, just like an athlete does. And it's the coach's job to take them from where they are 
to where they want to be and hone in on those skills and bring those skills and talents out. And just like an athlete, sometimes, you know, I, I'm not really athletic, so I hope this, Me neither. this, I hope this <laughs> example works, but let's just say an athlete, a basketball player, something's wrong with their layup. They're doing something wrong. And it's, it's this pattern that they're doing that's no longer working. And the coach can see that. And once they're able to do this, you know, suggest this little change in that pattern, those layups start happening. With a life coach, you see maybe a client is um, still working with some belief or message that used to serve her or him, and that's no longer serving them at this point. In fact, it's a detriment. And a coach may see that and be able to help that client rewrite that belief and, uh, and therefore move forward. That it, good analogy. I totally got it. And I'm not an athlete either. <laughs> the, the most I do is get on my Peloton. So, <laughs> which, cause I have a lot of joint pain. So I had to find something that worked for me, but anyway, moving on. So you said that you focus on mostly women in their middle age. Why did you pick that period? Uh, one it's because we're in that period, but also I, it really was through the cancer journey where, um, first of all, through the cancer journey, I, you know, we all deal with it differently. We don't know how we're going to deal with it. And like you mentioned, even between the first time, your first experience with breast cancer and your second were very different. Yep. Uh, and I don't know how I would, um, you know, deal with cancer if it, if it happened again. And so it's very different. And the way I dealt with it was because I was so surprised how much I didn't know about breast cancer and how mm-hmm. much I didn't know about the options of different treatment options. And um, it just shocked me because of how common breast cancer is Yes, that I decided to share publicly my experience and what I was learning. And so because I started to um, uh, share this publicly. Now I forgot what the question was. <laughs> How we were talking about middle age, why you chose middle-aged women. Oh. And because I started to share this publicly, people would comment about my mindset, about my mindset being positive and, and um, everything. It wasn't something I was trying to do. And I was, uh, my purpose was to help educate others because there were obviously going to be in their husband, other friends going through breast cancer following me. Uh, but it led me to realize that the difference um, an experience can make if you can get to a different mindset about it. And I thought, well, if I could help other women when they're going through stuff, whether it is a health crisis or a marriage dissolving or you know, elderly parents with all this stuff that we get hit with at middle age, mm-hmm. then that's what I'm going to do. Uh, Definitely, the one of focus. the one of the common themes in your in your book where you're interviewing the 51 other women, um, divorce did come up a lot, and I noticed that. And um, so for me, like I didn't get married until middle age, so I'm like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> we, we finally figured out who we are, and so now I think we've got we've got it together enough that we're good. So I don't need to worry about that. But also, we were talking about how breast cancer is affecting so many women in middle ages, at younger ages as well. Statistically, six and a half women in your book would have breast cancer. That's how small the community is. And it's like, you can't throw a stone without hitting someone now. So we really need the support. So you were diagnosed at age 47. How, how did you find it? What was that experience like? Uh, so I was at my doctor, my general practitioner for an entirely different reason. She said on the way out, I had my keys in my hand. She said, 
should we do a physical because it's, you know, you're almost due. I hemmed and hawed and I like, eh. agreed. Mm-hmm. And it, it was in that physical that she found a lump. And that's how I was diagnosed. Oh, and thankfully, it's that, you know, whatever other mess you were there for, it was, you know, li- listen to your doctor, listen to your body, even though your body was like, oh, I don't want to do this. Something in there said, take the time and do it and allowed you to find it, get your treatment and be where you're at today. So do you have, what is the major like lesson or message that you have taken from your cancer? Uh, my, well, my favorite quote is if, if today were the last day of your life, would you be doing what you're doing now? And I, I take that. that quote with me, especially when I'm feeling angst or upset about something, it allows me to take a step back and, and recognize that, you know, th- these moments are precious. Definitely. And I have um, my guest who's on my show next week. Her name is Michelle Cambolis. She's a, a therapist and is very into meditation and mantras. And one of the quotes in her book, a mantra that I've taken is, I am grateful for this life, for this breath and for my body. And I, that is my new thing that I say every day, because you never know what tomorrow is going to bring, unfortunately. And you don't want to have any regrets. So live your life the way that you should be and what your heart tells you to do, I think is the best message that I have taken from my cancer, as have you. So unfortunately, or sorry, Sherry, we need to take a quick break. But remember, friends out there, you can make a donation on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444 to help breast friends ensure that women do not go through cancer alone. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Navigating clinical trials for yourself or a loved one can be incredibly overwhelming. And that's why we built Clara Health. We created the Clara platform in collaboration with advocates to provide an accessible and patient-centered way to connect with clinical trials. Our team is here to support you in making informed and autonomous decisions about your treatment options. If you'd like to learn more, visit clarahealth.com. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Let's talk about forgiveness. It means different things at various times in our lives. After a cancer diagnosis, emotions such as anger, denial, sadness, and guilt can overwhelm us. What do we do with these emotions? Where does self-forgiveness come in? Tune in on February 2nd as we talk with Jill Anderson, trauma recovery coach. Jill helps clients create new, healthy patterns and walks us through how to forgive the most important person in our lives, ourself. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is Sherry Lead, mindset and life coach. And we've been talking about the messy things in your life and how we turn them into positive things and what messages you take from them. So, Sherry, let's really dig into that now. What are your tips on navigating life's messages when you're in the middle of it? Because I'm at that time, your head's exploding. So how do we get through that? Yeah, well, I had a good, one of the women I spoke to for the book, her name is Rose Wetzel. She actually is a professional obstacle course racer. I saw uh, that. That would be awesome. Not yeah, that I could been- <laughs> physically do it, but I love the idea of it. Right. She's, she's been on like Ninja Warrior, Spartan mm-hmm. races. I mean, she's, she's the real deal. I've seen her and- on there. We watched that show. <laughs> Okay, perfect. Well, you know, she said that one, she was raised in a house that literally had a lot of messes in them, a lot of children, a lot of piles of things, her mom collected items. Um, So she grew up literally jumping over physical obstacles. Mm -hmm. And now as a obstacle course racer, she was saying that interestingly, the optical course racers that do really well tend to be older than track racers. And a lot of times it's because they know that an obstacle is going to be there. Just like we know in life, obstacles are going to pop up everywhere. Messes are going to pop up everywhere, but uh, professional obstacle course racers are good at it. Don't worry about those obstacles until they appear. And so they don't sit there and think about obstacles that aren't there yet. They just know that they have the skills and the tools to conquer those obstacles when they do appear. And also they know those obstacles are there to lead them to another path towards the finish line. They're not there to stop them. So when we think about life's messes in the same way, we think, okay, those messes that we have in life, if we look at them as things that are diverting us to something better or something different, as opposed to things that are stopping us in our track and keeping us stuck, that alone helps us deal with these messes a little bit better and helps us change our mindset, which will allow mm-hmm. us to see choice. Got it. Now, what what if you're, you're going through something and it's, it's so challenging that at the time you just can't see the message? What, you know, a few years out, what, how does someone really go back and take figure it out. Like, I'm going to look back on this and realize, wow, that I learned this from that experience, even if I didn't know it at the time. And that was interesting talking to these women, because a lot of times, like you mentioned, they didn't go back and look at to see where these messes took them. Because a lot when we're in that mess, we're just trying to survive. And it's painful. (laughs) And yeah. And so to be able to take a moment and look back at life's messes and it has to be intentional, 
look back at those messes that we've had in our life, whether it's a failed relationship, a job we lost, a house that we didn't get or an apartment we didn't get. And we look back at those and see that most of the times we've, they've led us to a more fulfilling relationship, a better job, a, a better promotion, a neighborhood that fit our lifestyle or income a little bit better. Um, when we're able to see those past messes, take a moment to look back, then the current mess that we're in doesn't seem as scary. Oh, 100%. I feel like I can pretty much conquer most things right now. Mm-hmm. I always used to say that I used to work with lawyers so I can do anything. And <laughs> that, <laughs> that makes that, sense. <laughs> that gave me a lot of confidence in my 20s for sure. But then life, you know, didn't exactly go on the plan that I had wanted. I wanted to marry young and have a bunch of kids and a giant family. It just didn't work out for me at the time. So in one of the sections, one of the answers that I had written was, you know, look back on a mess. It's, I can't remember the exact journal, but the, what I took from me was I was smart enough at some point to realize I had to get off that train that I was on. All I was doing was working. I was supporting my boss and his family when I wasn't taking the time to take care of myself. And I had looked back on that and said, okay, I quit. And I was strong enough to move forward, took six months off. I traveled, I moved literally out of state because I needed a life change because I wanted something else. I met my husband a month later and we've been together for 14 years now. So I I look back on that and like my life was a mess and I took it and said, look, I'm strong enough to take this and figure it out. Yes. And when we look back at those messes and we see what we actually did and all the skills it took to do that and the bravery it took to go through it, it really does emphasize the strengths that we have. And we could start rewriting those beliefs that we may have had from our 20s or when we were younger that said, you know, you're not good enough. You don't have enough experience. You're not strong enough. um, You're not a leader. Whatever those messages were, when we look back at those messes that we conquered, and everything it took for us to get through those, mm-hmm. um, we could start rewriting those beliefs that aren't true for us anymore. Well, and there was one in particular, one woman was talking about the imposter syndrome and how she got through that. And getting through that just it gave her new confidence and new happiness because she was able to recognize that and turn it into a new message for herself. Yes. And isn't that a common theme for many women, that imposter syndrome, especially if you've been in some uh, uh, workplace that you're, you know, you start out, you're the youngest, you might be the only woman in that workplace um, or the only person that looks like you and you get this in your mind and it's, man, that, that sticks, unfortunately. So it does take some work to rewrite that message and that untrue belief. Yeah. When that's, I loved that at, at the end of every chapter, you had that place, your journal, where you could really take the time to self-reflect. And I will admit, I didn't fill out all of them because nothing was coming to mind at that time. But I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back and, and think about these things later. But I definitely recommend just really for, for women to take that time for themselves and just sit and think because we don't do that enough. And having those prompts was really helpful for me. And I feel like I'm in a pretty good place. And it was still really helpful for me. I love journaling. And I actually started journaling when I was diagnosed with breast breast cancer. Same. And it, it, and it helped me. It helped me. And I, I've kept up journaling and I keep my journals and I look back as to, at you know, the years and now I'm, I'm four years out and I look back and see where I was a year ago today or two years ago today. Uh, and I can actually, I could see the growth 
through the journaling. Well, and I actually started publishing mine because I was like, heck, if if anyone, if one person can be helped by the what my experience and what I've learned, then I'm a success. And so that's that's how I started writing was the journaling and writing about my cancer. So I love that. But let's talk about something else that you address in your book. A lot is aging. How do we how do we embrace that? Because like I, I just turned 50 this year and I my head doesn't realize that I'm 50. My body sure does. But let's give us some tips on how we, we embrace this time in our lives. Well, I think uh, in communication earlier, you had mentioned it beats the alternative. <laughs> that, that is so mm-hmm. correct. And, I, and that's one thing that we have. I believe as cancer survivors, we recognize, we seriously recognize that it beats the alternative. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's fortunate if you can surround yourself with people of different ages, uh, you know, people in their Mm forties, people, especially as women, as we age and we go through these changes in our bodies. I I joke with my doctor that I'm I'm turning into a man because my hormones are changing naturally now, you know, Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and, but these are real changes that we go through and it, it, it is surprising, you know, even looking at where you're going to live next or right now, my husband and I are in a discussion about uh, another dog. And if we could, how, how many years do we have to handle like a large dog? I mean, we, we got a, my lab is a pandemic puppy and he's a year and a half now and he is a terror. I love him, but two's a lot. It's a big jump from one to two dogs. <laughs> Yeah. And it, and it's, it's real, you know, trying to deal because this aging thing, you could, you know, a lot of people say age is just a number, but then when these real life situations happen of even, you know, just getting a pet, you start to think about that. Um, and I've found one of the best ways to deal with aging, at least for me and the, the girlfriends I talk to is to talk about aging. Yes. To talk about what we're going through, what we're experiencing, whether it's, it's from trying to deal with elderly parents and, and you know, empty nest syndrome, or or even if it's just if it's just about appearance. You know, we talk we talk a lot about we, what do we do? We all you know we we're we're we see pictures of ourselves, and we no longer you yes. know we can't fake it anymore, or whatever it is. Uh, and to laugh about it, to laugh and to be honest, and to talk about the struggles, uh, I think is is the most helpful. And I imagine too, where we're at in life in middle age, that's really actually a good time to sit back and, and celebrate the messes because they've made us the the people that we are today. Yes. And it, there's no one right way to, to go through middle age. And I know we could also be critical of each other at this juncture and, and, um, it's easy to criticize what someone else is doing to try to stay young or someone else who, who is embracing it. And I really think it's, you know, just like any other life change, just like going through, you know, a health, a health issue, you don't know necessarily how you're going to deal with something when it comes up. Mm-hmm. And we just need to give each other grace to be able to, to process things in our own way and, and be there to support and, and talk to one another. I know as, as we were thinking about that, it just made me think of some of the amazing quotes. You just have all these anonymous quotes in your book. And um, one of them is, you are a beautiful mess. And there's so many more like that. And um, a messy kitchen is a sign of happiness. And you really take all of the things that we're living with right now, even talk about like messy buns, which is how I live half my life. Because 
you know, we've been all working from home for the past couple of years and, but we have to embrace where we're at and celebrate where we've gotten because otherwise there's, there's no alternative. You know, we, you have to learn to be happy where you're at. And if you're not, then figure out that mess and what it's trying to tell you and to move forward. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's so good for um, people who are, we mentor or our children to see us as we navigate um, middle age and these messes and and to be able to be authentic and and talk about them. Uh, I, I don't know about your, you know, you or your parents, but I, I didn't hear that generation above us talk about middle age like our generation does. And maybe it's Mm-mm. because we have social media and we are able to dialogue and we, and we see each other more um, through social media. But hopefully what we're experiencing more publicly than maybe our parents did will help the next generation as they go through aging and middle age and um, all the things that come with it. I think we're just so much more public about everything in general because it's we've realized that it's so important to actually talk and communicate because that is how the messages get across. You know, for my son, my son knows I'm an older mom. I had him at 40. I'm 50 now. And I always joke that I have to keep my hair long or else people are going to think I'm his grandma. But (laughs) it's and he knows about my aches and pains and he knows what menopause is and why I have it. And and that, you know, I can't move as fast as I used to be just because I'm getting older. And we joke, um, he still watches um, Finding Nemo and, and Dory and all those movies. He loves the Disney movies. And he's like, Mom, you're just like Dory. You can't remember anything. And I'm like, zip it. <laughs> but it's, we're, it's good to be open about that. And like for me, like you said, I didn't learn about those things from my parents because my parents had me at 18. So I was an adult and on my own by the time they actually hit middle age. So I didn't, I didn't get to see it as much. And so I I think it's just super important to have that communication and especially to talk about it, like you said, on social media and other ways, because it really shows that how strong we are, but I'm sure there are some stumbling blocks that, that middle people, women in middle age or men encounter. What, what do you see in, in that arena? A lot of times I, you know, I work mainly with women, so I know um, I could speak more towards women, but a lot of times it's believing that I'm too old or I, I can't do something new and, um, and feeling stuck. That's a big one, feeling stuck. Mm-hmm. And feel, when you feel stuck, you can't see opportunity. And, you know, I call being stuck being in the victim mode. And I don't use the word victim to as woe is me, but mm-hmm. victim in the meaning at, um, um, at the, at the, let me see how I'm <laughs> victim mean at, at the effect of meaning that okay. somebody else has control of where you are. And we, when we're able, if we're able to get out of that victim space and see choice, that makes a world of difference. So one of the things I do, and my husband hates this, and I mentioned that we're going on our 25th year of marriage, every year on our anniversary, I make him sit down with me and I say, do you want to be in this marriage? And so far it's been yes, but I have, make us, I, I make us have this intentional conversation mm-hmm. so that both of us realizes that we're not stuck. And we want to be here for the next year. And quite honestly, that really is a game changer in my marriage. 
mm-hmm. um, to recognize that, hey, this is this is by choice. We've been here for 25 years. We could we don't need to be here again. We're, we're here because we want to be here. And I think for people in the middle age, the biggest challenge is feeling stuck, stuck in that job, stuck in a relationship, stuck, you know, in the sandwich generation with elderly parents and, mm-hmm. and feeling like you don't have a choice. Um, and so if we can get to that point where we realize we have a choice in everything, sometimes the choices aren't the most desirable, but there's still a choice uh, that really helps move things forward. I, I wish I had the book out here on my desk. It's somewhere on my bookshelf over there, but it is literally about how to reimagine yourself in middle age, about how as studying middle-aged women and how they literally go on and just choose all these different careers because they're, they have changed over time and their prior life messes were not working for them anymore. So they realized, okay, I can do this and I can move forward. So we talked about this earlier about learning from your friends in middle ages. Let's talk about that for a quick minute. Sure. And that's part of the discussion, too, is when you start talking to each other and seeing, wow, this career started at age 45, this career started at age 50, this, it it gives you momentum and excitement to be able to do these things and realize you can really do something great from 50 on. It doesn't, you don't have to stay stagnant. My first book came out when I was 50. I'm now on my third book. I, you know, I started coaching mm-hmm. in my late forties. Uh, new careers can happen, and they could be the careers that really fulfill what you think your purpose is in life. And this—it's exactly what it's doing for me here. My cancer journey has propelled me into this new career. One of my best friends, she turned fifty-one on Monday. She's going back to school to get her teaching credential right now. So there's just stories like like hers and, and yours and mine, I hope they really can inspire other women that it's it's not too late and you're not stuck. So we're going to talk more about this when we come back from our break. So stay with us. We'll be back here in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Navigating clinical trials for yourself or a loved one can be incredibly overwhelming. And that's why we built Clara Health. We created the Clara platform in collaboration with advocates to provide an accessible and patient-centered way to connect with clinical trials. Our team is here to support you in making informed and autonomous decisions about your treatment options. If you'd like to learn more, visit clarahealth.com. Let's talk about forgiveness. It means different things at various times in our lives. After a cancer diagnosis, emotions such as anger, denial, sadness, and guilt can overwhelm us. What do we do with these emotions? Where does self-forgiveness come in? Tune in on February 2nd as we talk with Jill Anderson, trauma recovery coach. Jill helps clients create new, healthy patterns and walks us through how to forgive the most important person in our lives, ourself. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is Sherry Lead, Mindset and Life Coach, and we talk talking about how to take life's messes and turn them into your messages. It's like a tongue twister, Sherry. So before break, we were talking about how so many people are really going back and re-examining their life and finding new careers in their, in their midlife. And so let's talk a little bit more about why that's not too late. Because I'm sure some people think, oh gosh, like I'm, I'm old and I'm going to retire soon. But that's really not true because we're living longer and being healthier longer, hopefully. So you really have a lot of time still to, to reinvent your life with a new new career. You really do. And actually, when you look back to, you know, on, on social media recently, they've been doing that 10-year challenge or whatever. And people have been posting, you know, where they were 10 years ago and, and where they are now. And when you look back to where you were 10 years ago, it's a world of difference. Even yes. if you've been, even if you're in the same career, you think of who your friends were at that time. Most likely, they've changed a bit. You know, sometimes a relation, a serious relationship, could have changed where you're living. A lot changes in ten years. So let's say now you're in your fifties. Think of between age fifteen and sixty, and how much can change in that time as well. Just like it did ten years ago. It's not too late. And I even, I just spoke to a woman who got accepted into law school at 49 and had her first day of law school right after she turned 50. Good uh, for her. That's amazing. And she figured, okay, she's going to be done in three years at age 53. And she decided she'll have a, a, a law career that'll last over 10 years, which is quite, you know, it's significant. I love that. And like for me, I hope, you know, in the next 10 years that, well, this year I am going to publish my book. And my goal is to once this pandemic is over to really keep building. And I, I want to get out there and be a speaker. I know that you also do inspirational speaking. And it's just something that I'm so passionate about. And I want to get out from behind a microphone and do it on a stage. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, there's so many things to do and it gets really exciting. And the greatest thing about doing this now is uh, one of the women I spoke to said that her dad always said, what's the worst that can happen? And yeah. I think at this stage, that's such a great mantra to have in your mind. What's the worst that can happen, right? I mean, like I've already been through so much crap. I'm pretty sure that if anything bad happens, you're like, okay, what, what message am I going to get out of that? And how do I move forward from that? 
Yes, exactly. Uh, so I, I, I'm surrounded uh, with women who either have gone back to work in their late 40s, early 50s, or have entirely changed careers. And many, we mentioned divorce earlier. I read a statistic that uh, the divorce rate for people in their 50s has doubled since the 1990s. So wow. there's, you know, there's income changes, uh, you know, lifestyle changes that mm -hmm. uh, many of us are going through. Uh, so this is this is a, a prime time and you're not alone to change careers or jump into something new. And I want to kind of step back because that makes me think of divorce and, and changes of life. So if, if you are in a good place, but you really want to work on your relationship, whether it's your spouse or friends or, or family, what is like really sitting down and having those one-on-one -on -one talks? Let's talk about, talk about that. Sorry. My brain just went. Sure. <laughs> sure. And so in these, in both the first and the second book, um, I did have these, they were all one-on-one -on -one talks. The difference is in the first book, they were in person. Second okay. book was pandemic all during zoom. But the Zoom conversations, even those one-on-ones, they were the, they had the same effect on each of us. Mm -hmm. So I guarantee one that the person I met with remembers that conversation because it's rare that we sit down one-on-one -on -one for a specific purpose to ask a question like, what is the mess that became your message? And it surprised me that even with close friends that I've known for a very long time, I learned something new each time and it really deepened our connection. And I listened in a different way than had we just gotten together for lunch without the intention of, I'm here to find out something about you. That that makes me go back to one of the things that I underlined at the end of your book, talking about how we all need to listen more carefully to our friends, ask questions and simply check in to be present as a friend. Yes. And even uh, I usually suggest when I'm working with clients and they have maybe a difficult coworker or a difficult family member, a lot of times I'll suggest before you, you know, you're going to see them, try to focus on, make it a game, find, focus on finding three new things about them that you didn't know before, you know, despite how little it might just be what they had for breakfast. I mean, it might not be very deep, but having that focus changes the way you listen to somebody and the questions that you might ask. And it makes, um, it takes the focus off of angst or maybe on yourself. So having these one-on-one -on -one conversations, one, it helps you to learn to listen to somebody and they feel heard, but it also deepens that connection despite what your relationship is. I can definitely understand that. My, my husband and I, every so often, we, we try to just go out by ourselves it's very different, obviously, when you have children and it's like you can't get away all the time. So it's really like sometimes we even just go sit outside and talk away from the TV, away from the electronics, away from the kid and the dogs to have like just present conversations where you're actively listening, taking it all in and and going back, which is super important. And I think probably what on your anniversary dates, that's something that you guys are doing, too. You're actually being present and, and analyzing that question because it's it's not something you typically think about every day. No, it's not. And it's a scary question, even yeah. after being married for a long time to actually ask your spouse and look at them and say, do you want to be in this marriage? It's it's a scary question. It's be, as much as you're secure, it's still probably a little terrifying that pit in the end of your stomach or, you know, until you hear that answer. 
It is. It, it really, it actually is. And it takes a moment and it's surprising that can be emotional too. Um, even if it's just, if it's done every year uh, and it ta- it gives you a chance to pause it and kind of re and reset. Uh, my, my husband hates those dates, <laughs> but now he's gotten used to it. He, he would say, uh, he would tell my son when things, things would happen. He'd say, you know, you just got to roll with it. After I married your mom, I just got used to things happening to me. <laughs> so this is one of those things that has continued to happen to him. He gets that question every year. Well, he obviously doesn't mind it too much because he's still there. He is. He's, he's chosen. <laughs> yeah. So the, the last chapter of your book is about you and your own messages. So can you tell us about them and what you learned from it? Sure. I, uh, I quickly summarized my life. I, in that last chapter, you know, I was, it started from being messy from my birth. I was orphaned as a, as a baby. We were mentioning during break that I don't know my actual birth date. It was an estimated birth date because I was orphaned without any identifying information, no birth date, no birth name, no birthplace. Um, so my life started out a little messy, but that mess got me adopted and into actually as a born in Korea. So that brought me to the United States um, with many opportunities, obviously, you know, ending with law school. Uh, and, and then, but in my twenties, I was in a terrible car accident. I had to learn how to walk again Mm. and I was, um, actually hit head on on a highway. So very high speeds. I was cut out of my vehicle at the time I had been applying to law school and I was planning on going to the East coast. That's when I was going to do my big East coast thing. Uh, but that kept me here on the West coast. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I met my husband and, uh, at law school. And then in my 30s, I was diagnosed with hip dysplasia and, um, and had two hip replacements. And that actually started me on this journey, too, towards uh, more self-reflection. Oh, I left out to our, um, I mentioned earlier, my daughter who um, came to us and then had special needs, we, we later learned. Um, so there are all these messes. And then finally, you know, in my 40s, cancer, all these messes that... Uh, when I look back, really led me to something, something more amazing and greater. And, you know, this, the whole cancer journey, um, it, you know, it's brought me people, people into my life like you, who I wouldn't have met, but for, exactly. um, and, and life lessons. And I do joke though now, and I, I, I throw it out to the universe that can my next life lesson be through a podcast? <laughs> not, can I not have, I don't want to have to experience this next one. So yeah. Can we'll, I just kind of we'll learn, learn the next one from afar, please? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what prompted you to take your story and 51 other girlfriend stories and write this book about taking your, your messes and finding the messages? Well, I was taking a master class. It was when our, our state went into uh, stay-at-home orders. And yeah. so I was at home. My kids uh, are in college, but their colleges went remote. Mm-hmm. And and so we were all at home. And we had just started a home remodel, and it got halted. <laughs> and so we, we were only in this small area of our house. No. And so I, I started to take master classes. <laughs> I, needed, like, I, I, need, I love you, release. but I need to get away from all of you. Yes. <laughs> And the one master class I took was by Robin Roberts on communication, authentic communication. Mm, I love her. And in it, she said that her mom taught her to make her mess her message. 
And from that, it sparked an idea that, hey, I can have these conversations with my girlfriends. And now I could speak to women that are not just locally with me. We're all in this shutdown phase uh, during the pandemic. And that's what sparked this uh, asking my girlfriends, what is the mess that became your message? And I gave them question ahead of time so they Mm -hmm. could think about it. Um, And it just surprised me when the connections I made because of it, the deepened connections. And what I learned that I had no idea um, that had gone on in my girlfriend's lives before me or even during our, our relationship. So I'm sure you still have some stories that really just have a huge impact for you. Can you talk about a couple of them? Yeah, one of the one of the big ones was my girlfriend who was my paralegal uh, 25, 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. And her son ended up on the streets. He ended up addicted oh, to yes. heroin and was homeless. And this um, this was a boy that I knew when he was young, athletic, you know, beautiful family. And just like in your area, um, in the Portland area, Seattle yes. has a huge homeless problem. Mm-hmm. And I had become kind of numb to to the homeless. I'd get to a stoplight and I tried not to make eye contact, walk on the other side of the street. I stopped seeing the homeless as people. And I, I did that at, at some point and speaking to her and having her put a face on, you know, with her son and the homeless population, it made me realize that when I see somebody, that's somebody's daughter, somebody's son, somebody's father, somebody's mother. Mm-hmm. And because of that conversation, I started carrying backpacks with me in my car. And now at the stoplight, instead of looking away, I make eye contact. And I've had some of the most amazing conversations in those short periods of time at a stoplight. Um, And uh, one of the big ones was this guy looked at my car and said, I want that car. I'm going to get that car. You know, he thought it was a nice car. Mm -hmm. And I realized, wow, he's on the street and he has dreams. And he Mm -hmm. was dead serious about where he was going to go with his life. And that conversation with my girlfriend has changed my life on a daily basis because now I, I, I got a piece of my humanity back. That is such a beautiful story. Unfortunately, Cheryl, we're almost out of time. So really quick, please tell us what's next for you and how can our listeners find out more about your books and what you do? Sure. So my next is I'm finishing up the series with a third book comes out in in September, more conversations with girlfriends uh, with different questions. And they can find these books on Amazon and find me on social media. My business name is an imperfectly perfect life. And that's also the website and imperfectly perfect life.com. Perfect. And I know you have your books there behind you because I can see them. So can you grab them real quick and show them so people can know what they're looking for? I need to I need to find the first one and read that now. I'm gonna add they're that to my list. Very bright. <laughs> I love that. They're like they're like neon, so you can see them super yes, easily. And, and it'll, if you hold it, it'll protect you from getting hit by cars if walking across the street. They're bright. <laughs> Perfect. Another use for that. Sherry, thank you so much for being here today. Listeners, you can find out more information about Sherry and what she does at and imperfectlyperfectlife.com on Instagram and underscore imperfectly underscore perfect underscore life and on Facebook and imperfectly perfect life. So follow her, check her out. She has short little snippets, half hour sessions. She's got all kinds of things and a lot of helpful information. So Sherry, again, thank you. Thank you. 
And listeners, if you or a loved one need our services, please visit breastfriends.org. You can make a donation on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444 to help Breast Friends continue on its mission to ensure that women do not go through cancer alone. You can find our show on many platforms here on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you would like to be my guest, or send me your warrior story of inspiration of what got you through cancer or how your life is better for it, please email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.